No, somebody's somebody's kid asked me, why do you laugh like that? It's like, oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was. Well, you see, I made this conscious I decision said, one so time. So you see, once I just laughed really loud, and then that was that. <laughs> A uh, loud laugh is great. I'm like, I don't know if I feel like I feel like when people are like, ha ha ha, like, I, do you mean that? <laughs> are you giving me a pity laugh right now? Have some conviction. Yeah. Welcome to TikTok Theology, a podcast that tackles the major trending topics on social media that concern the Christian faith. I'm Megan. And I'm Steven. We know you can't form a theology in three minutes or less, but those videos can identify current issues. TikTok will give us the prompt, and then we'll do a deep dive. Thanks for joining us in this exploration. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today, we will be tackling the Christian nationalism topic. That's a good one. That's definitely become another yield trigger word in the last couple of years. So we're gonna we're gonna dive right into our, our take, our thoughts, some things uh, that we have to say about Christian nationalism. All right. So. We know Christian nationalism is a a topic that is we probably didn't even like hear those terms a lot in public culture, mm-hmm. you know, prior to the last ten years. Like like this last ten years, it came to the fore, and I think it's always been there, but we didn't really talk about it that much. And so when we talk about what it is, it's essentially definitions can range from a bunch of different things. One, just mere Christian influence by a nation founded on Christian principles. Somebody saying that, right. Um, or it could go all the way to that. We should forcefully move towards a theocracy. Right. You know? So mm-hmm. like there, there's a, a variance within what it could mean in Christian nationalism. But the point is somehow your nation, your political nation is tied to your faith. And for right. us, it's Christian, you know? Yes. Um, what are some trends? What's going, like, how are people talking about it? I've heard um, more often than not, I guess I would hear Christian nationalism used as like a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of how you respond to like your friend's uncle who has like a Jesus on his shirt, like holding a gun or something. Oh, yeah. And like the American God, guns and glory. Yeah. And like an American flag in the background and they're like Bible barbecue and yes. <laughs> something else. And so I think that's kind of the um, current lay of the landscape with like how people are viewing Christian nationalism is it's almost tied to a view of being traditionally conservative and wanting all of the like wanting to be and equating like God bless America with like Christians and like America being some kind of like chosen nation by God and all of <laughs> all of that kind of thing. <laughs> that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So um, when you talk about America being a chosen nation by God, mm-hmm. why do, uh, do you think I mean, it was just the way you were just talking about it when mm-hmm. you were like, you know, um, like it seems like you are not cool with that idea. What's going? <laughs> what's going on here? Why? Why are you not cool with that idea? You know, it's not that I don't. It's not that I think God is anti-America or anything like that. But I do think that it. God's chosen nation was Israel, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's like biblical and yeah. he never makes a declaration after that of Let's like talk about in uh, Phil, uh, Philippians <laughs> 17 2 <laughs> says God also chose America I, d- I remember in, in America Lonians yeah, in America Lonians 1736 he there says and so I think for me it's um, kind of 
it's not that I think that God, I think, but I think it's, it's a really bold statement to say something like America is God's chosen nation or something like that, or to imply that God yeah. is more with the U S than he is other places. Mm-hmm. Um, when that's nowhere in scripture. Yeah. Um, and I would argue like the chosen nation of Israel and then, and then the new Testament of being like, and everyone is welcome in is like kind of a defeat of saying like Israel of course has a special spot in, yeah. in and, and is like in revelation and all that kind of stuff. But like to make a, it, the, like I just can't find an argument right for or theologically for why the U S would be God's next pick. Yeah. Um, especially America came around in the 1700s. So it's like, who was the pick yeah. <laughs> between, yeah. between the, like Jesus, the Holy Roman empire, yeah, like, come on. And so I think for me, uh, I think that the U S has a lot of, influence in world powers and stuff but i do think it would be a really far stretch for me and i would be really uncomfortable to make a statement that america was god's chosen nation in sure any way. and and i think um and i think there's a distinction that we should make about america being blessed by god or mm-hmm. any nation being blessed by god or any group of people being blessed i think that's that's a possibility but being a chosen nation um you know is a little different yeah. israel for example uh, I think what makes it tricky is that Israel was also a nation. Right. So it wasn't just a people, whereas the church in the New Testament is a people right. that's nationless. Mm-hmm. But I think the overarching image in the Bible is not so much national. It really is speaking towards the kingdom of God. Right. And, and differentiating the kingdom of God to any other nation that there is. Right. There's a, a great um, Pentecostal theologian named Stephen Studebaker. And he said we really need to be cognizant of the fact that the way Bible talks about it is that there's the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and then there's Babylon. Right. <laughs> so it's not, yeah. it's not the kingdom of God. Then like a kind of a kingdom of God and then like a pseudo kingdom of God, kingdom of God. No. sort of sub kingdom. <laughs> exactly. Everything else is Babylon and Babylon is kind of this um, archetypal language of, of speaking towards not just like sheer evil per se, but not the kingdom of God. Right. Like it's the kingdom of the world right. that is designated as Babylon. So when we're in the kingdom of the world, it's a, it's going to speak towards a polity that is mixed yeah. where you have influences of the world and then influences of the kingdom of God trying to expand and infiltrate and bring glory. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, um, <laughs> For sure. so there is going to be that mix and the church is supposed to be this representative of the kingdom of God. Right. Yeah. So that's the problem with Christian nationalism mm-hmm. is you start, you, you start uh, pointing a Babylonian state mm-hmm. as God ordained. Right. Woo. You know what I mean? Well, because there's this like strange sort of belief that I feel like a lot of people hold about Christian, the, like the U.S. being founded as a Christian nation, mm-hmm. which I would argue is not entirely accurate. Now, why might you argue that? Why might I argue that? Yeah. Well, so <laughs> my thing is like, if like they fled, like everyone, like the homies fled England because mm-hmm. they were being forced to be aligned with one religion. And technically the by church the way, of England yeah, it's Protestant. Is, yeah. Protestant, <laughs> is Christian. So by the way, friends, but they didn't want to be, they didn't want to align to that religion and so they fled to the u.s and established this freedom of religion and so yeah maybe they were maybe they were christian or whatever in the way that they were the founding fathers yeah but they literally fled 
from a place that required them to be one religion and operate in a very certain way and, yeah. and, and be very specific. And so I would, I think that the constitution and, and, and the founding fathers beliefs were pretty clear that it was about freedom of religion period. Like yeah, so if they wanted it to be a Christian nation, that speech. could have very much been written in to the constitution. And that very much could have been part of the founding process. And just because I think there's a difference between Christian influence and a Christian nation. Like yeah. obviously the founding fathers, a majority of them did like have Christian influence, but the U S is founded on the ability to be free in the way that they express religious beliefs, speech, all of that kind of stuff. And so I would argue that it's not a Christian nation. We just happened to have a high population of Christians in the country. But I would say that we were not a Christian nation. So, um, so a couple of things that the Puritans, when they came over, you know, mm-hmm. obviously this is uh, long before the constitution would have, uh, been made. Um, but yeah, you're, they were leaving religious persecution. They wanted freedom of worship right. now in their imagination. I am sure they were talking about freedom in their Christian worship. Oh, sure. But then when the constitution was written, it says, this is the first amendment. I mean, it's in it when, when it <laughs> talks about religion, it says uh, yeah. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion mm-hmm. or prohibiting the free exercise thereof right. or abridging the freedom of speech or the press. So that talks about right there, if they're going to be no law respecting an establishment of religion, that means that they are not establishing a state religion. Right. And they're also saying you're going to be free Yep. and it made way for a pluralistic society. Mm-hmm. And today we have, um, you know, as we continue to be a melting pot nation, um, we have a lot of different uh, religious uh, affirmations and traditions all throughout the United States. And, um, and so that's just a reality. So like, I, you know, like I, I think sometimes people will make it so that way, like, Oh, we're more wicked now than we ever were because of this and blah, blah, blah. And the truth is every era has wickedness and every era has good stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if we talk about like the good old fifties or whatever, then, <laughs> then you're going to talk about segregation laws and, right. and, um, uh, black and white folks not being allowed to drink in the same water fountain, right. like that, that kind of garbage. Now there was other stuff that was good, yeah. but this stuff was bad. And depending on which people group you're talking about, it could have been a very bad era. Yeah. And so this day and age, we're very pluralistic and that is a challenge for mm-hmm. to do ministry in, yeah. but there's other things that are very good. Christianity mm-hmm. is respected as a viable option today. Yes. Whereas 150 years ago, when we were in, in, a, in a, a high modernity that everything had to be kind of empirically backed in order to be known as fact, mm-hmm. Christianity was seen as kind of superstitious and right. kind of dumb actually, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so there is a, there is a positive, a positivity to that, but there's also challenges and that's just kind of how everything goes. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it's hard to say that the U S was founded as a Christian nation, but even if a nation has a national religion like England with Anglicanism, um, you right. know, historically, uh, that, that doesn't make it not Babylon. And that's kind of, I think, and, <laughs> yeah. that, and that's kind of the point here. doesn't make it the chosen nation. <laughs> it, yeah. It's not the chosen nation. Even still, it's not, um, it's not the kingdom of God. Right. Maybe it's functioning really well and it's mm-hmm. reflecting it well, but it's not the kingdom of God. The right. kingdom of God is a reality that spans way across na- national borders right. um, and temporal borders, right. uh, which where God is sovereign, you know, and this mm-hmm. is um, something that happens anytime. So it's good. I have a thought. Oh, okay. So I've been working on this. I'm working on a book. So this is a pre-plug. 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 So I have an upcoming <laughs> Shameless book. Shameless pre-plug. Yes. So <laughs> it's coming out. We'll see how, how it is. My manuscript is due uh, September. 
So a little less than a year from now, about halfway done. It's called The Problem and Promise of Freedom. Come on. And it's a public theology. And in it, I talk about um, some of the issues that, that happen with the church. And it's not partisan. It's not left or right. It is a problem of the whole church. Mm-hmm. And so I address a lot of different things. And I do talk about uh, Christian nationalism as one of the problems. And it has a similar root to other problems. So yeah. that the left and the right both have a problem. When they right. deify, I say, a liberal notion of freedom. Right. Now, by liberal, I'm not talking about Democrat. Democrat, right. I'm talking about classical liberalism yes. <laughs> of like liberty, Statue of Liberty, that yes. we have freedoms, autonomous freedom all the right. way through. So I was thinking this. I think that that notion, that concept, mm-hmm. speaks towards a syncretism, which is an idolatry that, yeah. um, that our Western church, because it's not just us, it's like the whole West. Oh, for sure you know, that our Western church does. And by the way, I think any nation falls into this. This is just our particular version of it. Yes. And so- Our sliver. Yeah. (laughs) And so, all right. So if you think about this, Mm -hmm. you have the golden calf story in Exodus 32 uh, verses one through six. Mm -hmm. And um, this is going to give us a little bit of a background of how I'm seeing it too. So, So the golden calf story, did it ever bother you of like how ridiculous- the Israelites seem yes. in this thing. Yeah. Always. So like, so you have, I was like, it's been 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, no. So they have this, it probably wasn't, but still. no, it was, it was a couple weeks probably, but still they just had this dramatic, uh, exodus, this dramatic, just liberation from, uh, Pharaoh's rule. Right. Yeah. You watched so, the sea split, split. Yeah. You were led by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day. During the day. And, um, and then you had all these things, uh, you know, water turning to blood. You got locusts, frogs, They've all seen these a lot of things. things. They've seen a lot. And then all of a sudden Moses is like, all right, y'all chill. I'm going to go up to Mount Sinai and I'm going to talk to God. All right. I'll be back. I'll be back soon. You know, <laughs> he's, he's gone for a couple weeks and you're like, you know what? He's been gone a little while. I think what we should do (laughs) is gather all of our gold jewelry Mm -hmm. and make a statue to worship. That's good. Right? That's really smart. (laughs) We make it knowing exactly where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And then we say that is who delivers us. So, you know, there's things in the Bible where you're like, you know, the disciples were kind of crazy. They were kind of whack right there. But you're like, I would do that too. I would be whack in that situation. Yeah, you know, doubting sure. Thomas, I would doubt like too. justifiable. That's justifiable. Mm-hmm. This seems not justifiable in any kind of reasonable sense. It's manner, yes. But I think something else is going on. Okay. So. He said there's more. See but what wait. Ha- see what happened But wait, was. there's more. Yes, right. So. Okay. So what happened was, what did, what happened? So the, if you look at verse five, mm-hmm. okay. So it's Exodus 32 verse five, mm-hmm. Aaron, after they built the calf said, he's basically t- instructing them to bring all their stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, to make a sacrifice. And he says, tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. And they were going to sacrifice to the golden calf. And, but the Lord is, all caps, all small caps. You know what that means? You know what all small caps means. What does it mean, Megan? I don't know. You don't know? Okay. I feel like I do know, but I'm not going <laughs> to declare it. Okay. 
Uh, that's actually a very Jewish response. You're not going to declare it because it's the name of God, of God. that's not okay. supposed to be uttered. Yep. Okay. So, um, just, so, just checking. Yeah. So <laughs> didn't want to embarrass any of my theology professors no, before, it's good. before it's necessary. You got, you got J-Dub being like, I can't believe like, I can't believe she didn't know that. It, it's a, uh, it's <laughs> Yahweh. So this is a replacement whenever the term Yahweh was written, which was, uh, which is obviously, uh, vocalized as Yahweh. Right. And, um, and this is the name, the proper name of, of God. Mm-hmm. And so what it's saying there is tomorrow shall be a festival to Yahweh. Right. So Aaron (laughs) is saying, bring your stuff to sacrifice at the foot of the calf because tomorrow is a, is a festival of Yahweh, meaning that they are associating the calf to Yahweh. Hmm. So that's why there's more to the story. They're not as crazy as they thought. So the first (laughs) commandment is, you know, um, do no not, <laughs> yeah, 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 don't, don't worship another God, right? Yeah. The second commandment is don't make a graven image. Right. That is what they were actually defiling is the second commandment. It was syncretism yeah. because it's not that they were worshiping. The golden calf is a separate. The golden calf entity. is a separate entity. They were worshiping God through, through the, the golden, golden calf. calf. Interesting. That's, that's how the Egyptians worship. They made statues of right. Ra and Aten and Cyrus and Iris and stuff like that. Yeah. And then they worship these avatars, these statue avatars right. to, for, to actually through them to worship the abstract deities that Interesting. were there. And so they weren't worshiping another God. They were worshiping God in an idolatrous way. Hmm. Huh? Uh. See, they were attracting to their old culture. But what that is, syncretism, is when you share the throne with something or someone else when when that throne belongs to God. And so you don't make a graven image because you're putting some worldly material, something of the earth that God created out of nothing in the first place. And you're making that up there with God. Mm-hmm. He's co- it's corresponding to God's worship and yeah. God's worship should be one and alone. Yeah. That I think is what the Western church does mm-hmm. when we deify certain things and put it up there with God. Yeah. And so the premise of my book is going to be that we've done that to the liberal concept of freedom. Yeah. But applied to Christian nationalism, the American flag. It's the American, it, <laughs> it's, it's the American flag. It's America itself, yeah. right? So, so what you're doing is you're taking the nation mm. and you're taking God and you're saying, you, got, you, you guys sit on the same throne together. Mm. And this is the problem. So you, are you really worshiping God now if it is this nationalized version of God? Right. Where can you draw the line of what, who God is and what the Bible says about God mm. and what you think it's from the from America or wherever you're from. Yeah. Um, you're applying to God. Yeah. There's so much stuff we apply to God <laughs> that is not biblical whatsoever. Right. But it's American. Right. And then, but then we conflate it so much. It seems the same way. Like uh, there's there's this. I was watching this uh, the news, and I'm not gonna say who it was or, or what channel it was, um, or anything. But one of the the pundits said they were talking about like being selfless towards others mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it was, it was actually about religion. Yeah. And they were like, um, in Christianity, they were like, yeah, you know, the Bible talks about being selfless. And he's like, you know, I, I hold, and the guy said, I hold God helps those that help themselves. Oh, that sounds biblical, but it is absolutely not yeah. biblical. <laughs> that's attributed to Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so that's a perfect, a perfect example. Yeah. They're taking the words of a forefather and, and deifying them. Yeah. You know, they're equating it to the Bible and then saying, look, that's what it is. No, God doesn't help those who help themselves. That's a libertarian approach 
to understanding uh, um, uh, life right. and thinking about God in that way. Right. Uh, it's a politicized version of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying libertarianism is wrong, but you do realize that that's n- that, like, the Bible does not promote either of these, not, none of these. Right. It doesn't promote any kind of uh, liberal social um, uh, um, uh, economy or agenda or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't. It has a, a an agenda that is completely covenantal yeah. between God and his people. Right. That's the kingdom of God. Right. And so when we start inserting all this junk into it, that's mm-hmm. what we get. We get this, uh, we get uh, uh, terrible situations. And like, yeah. I think one, one of the greatest examples of Christian nationalism rearing in fullness, it's ugly head mm-hmm. is the January 6th insurrection. Attempt. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was wild. So think about what happened there. And so some people are like, Oh, that's not so religious. You know, like that wasn't necessarily Christian nationalism. It could just be like far right extremism. Yeah. And it was far right extremism, but it was also Christian nationalism. It was. One of the rioters was filmed praying in the Senate chamber while others were heard invoking God's names, name, God's name in chants and speeches. Yeah. They were, uh, they were singing Christian songs during the attack, including people of the Lord. And then also God bless America, which is a nationalistic kind of hymn. Thing. Right. The national, Association of Evangelicals literally the next day released a statement that condemned the attack on the Capitol and said this quote, followers of Jesus are peacemakers. Some images from the protest demonstrate a disturbing conflation of Christianity and a nationalist ideology that is far from the way of Jesus. Yeah. End quote. That's the national association of evangelicals. They released that on January 7th. They were like, and no. Yeah. And they, they called it out. Exactly. They, yeah. they realized this is looking like Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Yeah. And, and like the worst event of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I watched a lot of it. Maybe so it wasn't so much just the concern of, cause I did see like the crosses were there and people wearing stuff that like implied that they were Christian. But I saw a lot of, I think, a really disappointing response from Christians as well. Yeah. Who were almost like, well, sporting or not grieved, I think, by things that like the terror that Congress experienced because they were all there. And people died. While they were getting stormed and people died. Like, this was not a, like, and and it's something that I feel like sometimes we just kind of brush off. We're like, oh, we just had a little, a little insurrection. Yeah. LOL. Um, but I, I, I think that like, that was a really big deal Yeah. and how it was handled and what, and what came about. And I feel like we were not appropriately, like, I feel like Christians weren't appropriately grieved by that. I and agree. they were like, Oh, well just another day, <laughs> just another day in the house. And, and I mean, I, I think there are a lot of those people should be really, really thankful that they had freedoms because if this mm-hmm. was other countries and they cooed the capital, they, this, this would not have ended. The, they wouldn't be prosecuting people. We would have, a different, we would be dead. Yeah. And we have a different politics. Yeah. Right now. We, this would be a very different conversation if we weren't, if this wasn't happening in the U S. Um, and so I think that this, it's not, I feel like people viewed that as almost like a demonstration of our, of our freedom and our right to be upset or our right to, free speech or freedom of assembly or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not, it, mm, I don't, a violent don't, attack. A violent it? attack is not a freedom of assembly and no. a violent attack invoking the name of Jesus grieves the heart of Jesus. Yeah. Like, because if you think for any second that God was telling anybody in that group, I think you should attack the Capitol. <laughs> There's no way. No, we didn't because that is directly contradictory to the heart of God. And mm-hmm. if he said he would never tell, like he would never speak to you yeah. something that is contradictory to his nature and his character. Right. 
And so it grieves me as a believer, the, the, the reputation that got put up for Christians who were there. Yeah. And I know it wasn't just Christians who were in the January 6th situation, but it, it grieves me that that is how people will know us. And that's how people will know Jesus is, is as violence. And as I, if I don't like something, I'm going to rebel against it. Yeah. And think about, think about this. So like it was a threat. Christian nationalism becomes a threat to two things, mm. to both the nation and to Christianity. Right. And so we're more concerned about Christianity, but as Americans, we can't like, you know, like look over the fact that it's also a threat to our nation. Yeah. And so this was that great example. Mm-hmm. We almost lost our nation. When we talk about like you, you have freedoms until they go and infringe on someone else's freedoms, right? right? Like there's a limit to how we're free. <laughs> right. Um, and so like you, if you're killing someone, then you're not free to do that. No. You know what I'm saying like you're not free to, um, to, to, to terrorize and put all these people's lives in, in, um, in danger right. and, and to cause havoc and terror in our country. Right. But um, so there is that national threat and it wasn't just, like you said, it wasn't just Christian nationalists, but it no. was part of it. It was, yeah, it was a part of it. But as the church, and this is where, where we're talking towards, we need to be, okay, this should, like you said, this should grieve us. This is a problem. This conflation has caused this. Yeah. If we were not nationalistic in our faith, <laughs> we would not have been singing hymns as they stormed the chap, uh, the, the capital. The capital. Yeah. So, so that would not be the case. It would look like an alien thing from Jesus and then it would have to be uh, looked at that way. Yeah. So the real question for us, and this is, and this is also the, the focus of my book too, because I'm not writing a public theology in order to, to, to shape politics, right? but I am writing a public theology in order to shape the church. Yeah. And so that I think is the bigger question, the church. Mm-hmm. So, Let's end with this question right here. And I, I want to know what your thoughts are on this. Mm-hmm. What does it mean for the church to be holy? We're going to be a witness in this world. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be a light to the world. Mm-hmm. Israel was supposed to, and then we were supposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, it started with Israel. There's supposed to be a blessing to all the nations. Yep. And then Jesus didn't do away with that. Mm-hmm. He brought it to the church. He expanded it and universalized it. Now we have the whole church, yeah. um, universally speaking, that's supposed to be, you know, uh, the city on the hill and the the light to the nations, the light to the world, Mm -hmm. you know, what does it mean for us to be that pure and good witness? What does it mean to be holy? I think that scripturally it's kind of been proven that Christians, that people period can't be holy on their own. Like it's not something that you can grit your teeth and like try really hard (laughs) to do the right things to be holy. And so I think that that, requires a submission mm-hmm. holiness the pursuit of holiness requires a submission to god yeah and submission to something that is countercultural. and i think it's really 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 hard for christians in christian nationalism and american christians because we're individualistic yeah from like foundation mm-hmm. is that something we've been our whole our whole legacy as a nation is like we as people have individual rights individual freedoms that we will go to bat for. We came out of the enlightenment. Yeah. And so it's like, it's always about me mm-hmm. and it's always about what I can get and what I am do. And I think that that when holiness is so un is so selfless mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in, in every way, because it's about how do I submit and live as God would call me to live. Yeah. Even if that means that I give up my rights 
as an American, even if it means that I'm being called to live a way that maybe the government doesn't make me live like that, but God is telling me to live like that. And so I think that for the church, the American church to be considered to be holy and to, to pursue holiness, it has to be a submission. It has to be an active act of surrender of, it doesn't matter what my rights are. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what's currently going on in my country. Mm -hmm. Like I want to pursue and partner and submit to the will of God and God's. And then as you do that, God will direct you. God will lead you. And that is a pursuit of holiness because we will never be completely holy this side of heaven. Like it's just not going to happen. But our lives are an active pursuit of holiness. Right. But that means that we then can't live for ourselves. No. Because die daily to ourselves. Die daily. Like take up your cross, follow him. Like it's, it's, it's visually like it's scripturally. It's, it's, it's a sacrifice. Yeah. Living holy is not a luxury. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's messy and it's, and it's painful sometimes because it's so not about us. Yeah. And, and I think, I think, for American Christians and Christian nationalism, it makes it about us. And so I think that for the church to be holy, it's gotta be, we've got to switch our mindset and it can't be about the individual right to do whatever we want. And it has to be the submitted um, responsibility to align with the heart and call of God. So I think um, what you're hitting on is really good. It is individualism in our nation and then individualism as it enters the church. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, uh, and I think that you're, you're right on on that. So, um, have you seen that meme? There's like a meme going around that's like, um, uh, if Paul was writing today, yes. America would get a letter. America's getting a letter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's funny. I t- have you seen the blues? It's from Blues Clues. Have you seen that one? The, we just got a letter. I no. wonder who it's from. And he opens it and it's Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Paul, fr- Paul the Apostle of Jesus. Oh, and we're great. like, oh no. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's great. So, um, <laughs> but anyways, I think um, just to kind of, put a, an end to this conversation. Mm-hmm. I think it's been a really good conversation is, you know, the church's call to holiness. There is this idea of communal reality that we've lost a little bit of. Mm-hmm. And specifically though, it's not just being a community, but it's being God's community, right. being God's people where we're in covenant with God. God is our Lord, our sovereign. And we can very clearly and easily exist in any governmental system. But if the government is speaking against what it is to be a Christian, then we will um, avert that. But think about what Jesus did. How did Jesus avert the law? How did Paul avert the law? <laughs> they went to jail. They took punishment. Yeah. They didn't rebel. You know, when, when uh, Peter tried to protect Jesus from, uh, from the Roman guards as they were trying to arrest him. Yeah. Uh, Peter cut off one of the guards ears and then Jesus immediately healed him mm-hmm. and said, this battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities. Yeah. The whole point of this, Jesus willingly went to the cross. There was a conscientious objection that he did. He did not yeah. follow the law, but he also uh, took the consequences of the law by right. going to the cross. Yeah. Same thing with Paul. When we talk about like, oh, you're supposed to submit to authorities. You're supposed to do this and that. that. Y'all realize how many times Paul went to jail? Often. You know what I mean? Often. And, and so <laughs> what does that mean then? He wasn't following the law, but yeah. he was following the consequences of the law. So it was right. a conscientious objection. Yep. And so that, that's how we need to understand these passages and this, this reality. Yeah. It's not simply follow blindly what's yeah. happening. Yeah. 
you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If it goes against what God is calling you to do, of course, then you're going to resist just like Martin Luther King Jr. did, right? He went to jail a bunch of times for his righteous cause that was super biblically based, but it was conscientious objection. He did not fight back. Right. He did not repeat that with violence. Yeah. Well, the Jews were upset because Jesus didn't fight. Exactly. They were like, why did he not come and dominate the empire? This is an old story. Like this is an old story. This has been done. Like Christians, American Christians are not called to, 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 charge the capital. In like, fact, Jesus said the literal opposite. This is not a <laughs> battle against flesh and blood. Yep. And so we must remember that. We must be that that church that is pure and holy. We'll stand up mm-hmm. in our in our firm in our beliefs as we should, but that often means being the peacemaker in a very violent world. Yeah. And then sometimes taking that punishment as we are the peacemaker in a in a violent world, yep. which is very different than what Christian nationalists were doing. So being pure, being holy in the church is keeping that radical witness and knowing who we are in that way. Don't let any nation, regardless of who the nation is, Mm -hmm. come into the church. Our job is to be a witness to the rest of the world, not to let the rest of the world creep into our church, into our kingdom. That's good. So I think let's, uh, let's go ahead and leave it at that. But before we go, we'll gotta say, this episode was brought to you by the School of Theology and Ministry at Life Pacific University. Go check it out. Yes, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> See you next time.